0: The, this, the 9 o'clock service was the first time I have been in a worship service where people basically laugh throughout the scripture reading. It was also up on the screen, so that was happening. You're welcome. These kinds of things are interesting, and we always have to hear them uh, from the perspective that we are in through the light of Christ, but I am pretty sure that you all can resonate with the sentiment of this reading this week, because it's been happening all week long. The mumbling and the grumbling. Can't you just imagine those of us, some of us, who love the Kansas City Chiefs, (laughs) mumbling and grumbling these exact words from Ecclesiastes after the end of last week's game, right? there you go can I get a witness the race is not to the Swift did you notice that the race is not to the Swift or the Swifties or the battle to the strong or Taylor's boyfriend Nor food come to the wise or wealth, to the brilliant or the favor to the learned, but lining up off sides at the worst possible time happens to them all. Are these penalties, O spirit of playoff future, shadows of things to come, or can this trajectory be changed as we move into the future? And you might say to me in this moment, Jason, this week is supposed to be about joy, and I say to you, yes it is. And in fact, I, may, I know it may not always seem like it as we've gone throughout these weeks and this, this book, but joy is really the point of this whole series. Because the pursuit of joy in life is a huge part of the book of Ecclesiastes, And the pursuit of joy in life is a huge part of Dickens' Christmas Carol and what it is all about, and good news of great joy is a huge part of what the whole season of Advent is really about. Something especially obvious to us on this Sunday which points us both to future joy and to future judgment. In Advent, we await we are waiting to celebrate Christmas past, which is the biblical story of Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And in Advent, we are waiting to celebrate Christmas present in our present with our family and loved ones and church. And in Advent, we're waiting for Christmas yet to come. For that day in the future when Christ will come again and reign, starting with judgment, which may sound scary, And it should, but it's also supposed to be joyful. It's also supposed to be joyful. That day of judgment is supposed to be a day when joy and judgment come together. They coexist. Writer Elizabeth Gilbert has said, A person will be called into account on judgment day for every permissible thing they might have enjoyed but did not. I'll make that a shout-out to David Folk's wonderful devotional on this passage this morning. And I'm not really sure that Jesus would disagree with this either, because growing and accessing and receiving joy is a huge part of what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Remember, Jesus said, "...I have come that they might have life, and that they might have it in all its fullness." Theologian Miroslav Volf has proclaimed that no serious discussion of human flourishing is possible without a consideration of joy and its place in the good life. Why? Because joy is vital to well-being. Because joy is vital to living life In all of its fullness, which is one of the reasons I think the author of Ecclesiastes is so obsessed with it. In fact, you could argue that joy is the ultimate point of the whole thing. But to get that, you have to see it. And to see it, you have to understand what it is is. And you and your dictionary definitions may disagree, but there's a good bit of relevant research out there that invites us to pay attention to the differences and the distinctions between joy and happiness. They're not exactly the same thing. Which is not to say that happiness and joy are opposed to one another. Of course they're not. Joyful people experience happiness. Joy cultivates and creates space for happiness but happiness and joy are not the same thing happiness is primarily a feeling that happens in response to something good or pleasurable happening to you joy is something that we only experience when our focus is out there on something or someone else The object of happiness is us. The object of joy is beyond us. There's a lot of emphasis in our culture on the pursuit of happiness, so it's important to understand the distinction. Do what's best for you, we hear. Do what makes you feel good, we hear. Do what makes you happy is a mantra that can lead you away from your soul-finding deep satisfaction. Comedian Jim Carrey once said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything that they've ever dreamed of so that they can see that it is not the answer. So what is the answer? Well, Dickens and Ecclesiastes and Advent seem to think it has something to do with joy. We probably won't be able to pin down exactly what joy is in this space, but our Advent stories are pointing us to it. They're they're pursuing it. Just as I think deep down so many of us are pursuing it as well. And if that's you, if you have a longing this morning deep inside of you to experience something deeper, something richer, something more, then I've got good news for you this morning. Jesus wants that for you too. Jesus wants joy for you. Jesus wants to give you joy as well. In John 15, Jesus said, I have spoken these things to you. Why? So that my joy may be in you and so that your joy may be full. And then later the writer of Hebrews tells us it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, which in and of itself ought to give us an interesting insight into the distinctive and expansive nature of joy. The reality of joy can hold space for so much in this life. The reality of joy can hold space for happiness, and the reality of joy can hold space for so much more the reality of joy can hold space for anger and for celebration the reality of joy can hold space for suffering and struggle and strife in dickens christmas carol where do we find joy where do we find joy in that story do we find it in the continual accumulation of wealth no Now, I'm sure there were moments in Scrooge's life where he felt happy. I'm sure there were moments where he pulled off a big business deal and felt some satisfaction. But how long did that satisfaction last? Did Ebenezer Scrooge have access to abiding joy? No. So where do we see it in the story? Well, one of the most obvious places where we see it is in the home of Bob Cratchit, Scrooge's vastly underpaid assistant who didn't have the money to acquire almost anything that our commercial culture tells us we need for success or satisfaction or happiness in this life. And yet, somehow when Scrooge looked at Cratchit, he knew that he had something deeper, Something that was missing in Scrooge's life, joy. Where did that come from? Couldn't be bought. And it also couldn't easily be driven away. Not, not by anything, not even by really unfortunate circumstances. You notice that? No, instead what you see in the story is that Cratchit's family's joy seems to be surprisingly resilient. Joy is resilient and expansive. As um, Dr. Angela Guerrell has said in her book, The Gravity of Joy, joy does not obliterate grief. Grief doesn't just vanish because joy comes. Instead, joy has a mysterious capacity to be felt alongside sorrow and even sometimes especially in the midst of suffering. And we get that, right? We've experienced that in big and small ways, right? When our very own St. Patrick Mahomes was losing his mind last week, after that amazingly instinctive lateral by Travis Kelsey that was a touchdown and then was called back uh, because Kadarius Toney was lined up alongside the Bills linebackers, we too were upset. We too were mad. We too were frustrated. But wasn't even that connected to joy? To a present joy that we experience with friends and loved ones as we cheer on the chief's team that has offered us so many celebratory moments in the past and still holds a good bit of promise for the future? Can your chief's sorrow and your chief's joy coexist? We don't usually think about that. We don't usually think about joy and sorrow coexisting in fact sometimes in the midst of sorrow over a loss and I'm not talking about a football game I'm talking about a real tragic personal loss sometimes in the midst of that you may sit some joy and you may feel immediately in response to that guilty like you shouldn't be experiencing joy at all it's wrong we should experience joy when when this when we've got this loss in our mind or on the other side of things you may wonder if because of that incredible hardship or loss or tragedy if you have now lost the capacity to ever experience joy again some of you may be feeling that and to that Dr. Gurrell says this joy has grit joy has grit joy is not naive You are not betraying your grief by feeling joy. Joy has a mysterious capacity to be felt alongside and even in the midst of sorrow and suffering. Why? Because real joy is surprisingly inclusive of the whole human experience. All of it. Everything under the sun, and this is more than an underlying emphasis in Ecclesiastes. No, it seems to be the bass note running throughout the whole song. Kohilath, the teacher in Ecclesiastes, is a gatherer of wisdom with the focus being uh, to figure out what it means to live a meaningful life. And one of the threads of wisdom that we see weaving throughout this book and every wise life is this. The more I know, the more I know that I do not know. Have you noticed that? There's a point in every growing wise life when you get this sense of the more I know, the more I know that I do not know. The teacher knows this. He's reached a lot of dead ends, but does seem to be emphatically sure of at least a couple of things. Life is a gift. Life is a gift of God, and there is all kinds of joy that can be had in it. Why do sometimes bad things happen to good people, or good things happen to bad people? The teacher doesn't really know. He doesn't know. He just knows that in the midst of anything and everything that does happen, the reality of joy is a gift of God that is somehow available in the midst of it all. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within our grasp. It's among us. It's it's near. And Jesus described the kingdom of God like someone finding a treasure hidden in a field, and once they find it they sell everything else in their life because of joy to get it it's that valuable what if i were to tell you that no matter your circumstances it's possible for you to access joy because joy is the bass note of the life song that jesus calls the kingdom of god C.S. Lewis titled his memoir, Surprised by Joy, because for Lewis, the pursuit of real joy was always at the heart of everything. He once said, It seems our Lord would find our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Throughout his writings, the German idea of Zinzucht was significant for C.S. Lewis. Zinzucht is the idea, see if you can follow this, of an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. Zinzucht is the idea of an unsatisfied desire which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. And Lewis saw this Zinzucht within all of us as a reality pointing beyond us saying, if we find in ourselves a desire, that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And this is similar to the sentiment that we heard last week in Ecclesiastes 3. There is a time For every temporary thing in this life, and there is also a time for things that are transcendent and timeless. God has placed eternity in our hearts, says Ecclesiastes, and a deep, abiding, holy longing for it. That's the Zenzucht. And C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis identified this Zinzukt as joy. That's the sign. That's the longing. That's the experience. Are any of you this morning longing for joy? Are any of you longing for joy? Because joy is a gift that can be experienced in the present. And joy is a sign and a sacred promise that there is more out there waiting for us in the future as well. Joy is actually the ultimate destination of our Advent wait. The promise of Advent, the promise of Christmas, the promise of the gospel, is that our future in Jesus Christ will be completely and totally fashioned by and filled with joy. And the promise of the gospel is that if we will choose to turn our lives toward the living God and the work of serving all those God loves, we can tap into the eternal joy of Jesus even now. May our worship this morning continue to bend our souls in that direction.